going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, my friends. Let's fire right into the program today because I love this. This is just uh, icing on the cake. we got a couple of stories developing over the last half hour or so. Uh, there's one at City Hall right now. Mayor Nahed Nenshi and City Manager Jeff Fielding have pretty vague uh, announcement being made at this point is there the vague news releasing hey come down to city hall there has been some speculation jeff fielding will be stepping down we will get the latest on that through the course of the afternoon but i want to start off with this hilarious i'm going to call it a trolling of everybody involved in provincial politics in alberta courtesy former wild rose leader brian Jean. Earlier, I can't remember if it was last night or this morning, he tweets out saying, hey, make sure to watch the Facebook Live big announcement to make at 3 o'clock. And everybody's waiting. It was about 20 minutes after 3 before we finally got this. Losing my mom last month and now my sister terminally ill in the hospital. It's been tough for our family. But I want to say thank you because during these times you have been so supportive of my family. And we've felt the strong support from so many of you and have been so grateful for it. We have, and we have felt it. And in the upcoming year, we're looking forward to finally rebuilding our home in Fort McMurray and helping Northern Alberta get back on its feet. I personally will be devoting more time to advocating for Alberta's rights on the national stage through as many means as I possibly can. And I guess I'll be holding down the fort. Yes, you will. (laughs) Over the last few years, Kim and I had the chance to meet thousands of people from all across the province. And honestly, many of you become good friends. We also have family and friends across Canada and across the world. We do. And we'd like to thank you all for your love and your support through the tough times and wish you a healthy and joyful 2019. We hope it's the best year ever. But wait a second, Kim. Isn't there something else that I'm forgetting? I'm, I'm forgetting something. I'm... And the camera pans out. Oh, right. (laughs) That's right. Last but certainly not least, we wanted to share with all of our family and friends, all of you, our newest plan for making Alberta better. A new Alberta-grown addition to our family in around 10 weeks. A true joy and miracle and a hopeful 2019 indeed. Thank you all for tuning in. And, you know, until looking at Twitter last night, I had no idea that I had so many family and friends. I hope it wasn't disappointing, but stay tuned in the weeks and months to come for more Alberta advocacy announcements. Uh, What great news indeed for us, and thank you so much for your support, everyone. Thanks, everyone. First off, congratulations to Mr. and Mrs. Jean for on the new arrival soon. Secondly, congratulations on trolling the entire Alberta legislature watcher uh, gallery as we've been waiting to see what could this be? Could he be? And, and we were having this conversation in the, in, even in the newsroom today and last night. What could it be? Could he be that he's joining one of the parties? Could he be going back into federal politics? Might he be going back into municipal politics of some kind? What might be? And I think it was actually Brenda Newfeld who said, what if they're having a baby? So I love that. That is just It just goes to show how rampant and, dare I say, even addicted to finding out the latest information as quick as humanly possible. 
and especially social media, which is going to be our very first topic on the show today. Also going to be waiting in on the discussion at City Hall. We'll get Aurelio Perry on the program before too long here uh, to talk about what that announcement's going to be and a whole lot more. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. As you'll recall on the program yesterday, I hinted at a, a bit of a personal thing that I've decided to do. I stepped away from the world of the BlackBerry and entered the world of the Samsung. And it's again, I'm not having buyer's remorse about it, but it, you have that feeling like something's missing because I've been a BlackBerry user for so long. And I wonder if I'm having a little bit of separation anxiety, maybe. But apparently there's something to this. Welcoming into the program now, uh, Peter Reiner, a professor of psychiatry at the University of British Columbia. Peter, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Is this a real thing or am I just losing my mind? Could I possibly be having cell phone separation anxiety or anything of that nature when it comes to just changing over my phone? Well, I I, I have to tell you that um, the anxiety about changing phones is maybe a little bit uh, unusual, but um, anxiety about separating from your phone is really quite normal and common. And um, it's very widespread. And, and one of the reasons that people really have that anxiety is something called fear of missing out or FOMO, as it's known uh, in, the, in the business, but right. really fear of, of missing something that you're connected with on a day-to-day basis because, of course, that's what our phones do. We, we call them phones, but they're not really phones. They're connections to the information superhighway, whether it is to your Facebook feed or your Twitter account or Instagram or whatever it might be. Those become very intimate parts of our daily practice. And if you change phones or certainly if you don't have your phone with you, then you feel disconnected. It's got to be a lot similar to missing someone that you're, you know, whether you're you're away from a loved one for a while or that kind of thing is it almost becomes part of your routine. And when your routine gets messed around with a bit, you're you're thrown off. So I think that that's a very good analogy that, um, you know, missing your loved one or somebody that you spend a lot of time with. Um, but I think there's actually something deeper that we've been exploring uh, that goes on here. And, um, and that is that over time, you, your phone becomes so much a part of your daily activities and so much a part of your practice of navigating the world that it really becomes an extension of your mind. And I don't mean to, to say that in, a, in kind of a whimsical way or a science fiction way, but actually in a very real way. It doesn't, we don't require wires connecting our phones to our brains in order for it to be an extension of our minds. We rely on our phones for a lot of things that we normally rely on our brains for. For example, uh, going from place to place. We use the GPS of the phone for all kinds of things. Remembering phone numbers. Uh, nobody remembers phone numbers anymore. You just have your phone dial a number or maybe you just even speak to to some assistant you say hey alexa or google or something mm-hmm. dial joe and all of a sudden it all just kind of happens and so there are all of these cognitive events that we're offloading onto our phones 
when your phone becomes a part of your extended mind like that, when it's not with you, you really actually feel like you have lost part of your cognitive power. And that's because you you have. Is there a line to be drawn between what you've just described and an addiction to your phone? Yeah, so um, I, I will say that I, I'm, I'm really very um, uncomfortable with the addiction terminology because it, it brings up a, a, a lot of baggage. The, mm. the, the proper term these days is called problematic internet use. Right. And it's not. Um, and it's really when it becomes so much of a problem that you're avoiding um, social interactions, um, all kinds of things that you would want to do. So it's based on what you want. And people do report that they want to do certain things, and yet they are not doing them because they are so enamored of the bright baubles that come to us through our smartphones in particular, um, that they miss those normal activities of, of living uh, life. And that's really a very sad situation. Um, that's a little bit different than what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. That, is, is, to some considerable degree, is because the tech giants um, have designed their apps to be so attractive that Uh, It's very difficult for us, for, I'll I'll put it in neurobiological terms, for our brains to stay away. Is there anything you can do if you're feeling that anxiety, that you're feeling like, oh, I've changed things up or I've, you know, I'm I'm away from my phone for a little bit. How do you, how do you counter that? Well, um, probably the best way is to do it more and more often, (laughs) but in small bites. Um, and I have um, a few recommendations um, for people because, you know, you get a new phone and, and you said you just got a new phone mm-hmm. uh, recently. And my question to you is, did it come with operating instructions? Generally, no. You just get the phone. It comes out of the box. You turn it on and it kind of works. Right. And it's all very intuitive. But in fact, there is some method behind that madness. And so... The way that the designers of the phone lead you down the path is the way they want you to go. What we don't have and and what we desperately need is a set of common sense recommendations for people to use their phones in a way that's going to be healthier for them. And so I have a few, a couple of pieces of phone, uh, smartphone hygiene that I I will share with you. Okay. The first is turn off all your notifications. All those whistles and bells and lights that go on, they're just going to distract you from what you already were doing. Mm -hmm. And that way, instead of the phone managing you, you manage the phone so Mm -hmm. that you go to your Facebook feed when you want to, you check your text messages when you want to, rather than whenever these things just happen to you. And that's a very, very, that's probably the healthiest thing that you can do. So you turn off as many notifications as you can. Obviously, the ringer on your phone, most of the time you want to keep on so that you can get a phone call. But actually, even that should be turned off sometimes 
And in the most recent iterations of many of these operating systems, for example, your phone's not going to ring and you're not going to be able to use your smartphone in the car when you shouldn't use it, ever. (laughs) You should not be driving and using your phone. And some of the phones don't let you do that. And that is a long time coming. Mm -hmm. Um, My student Nick and I wrote about that uh, three years ago, and it's... Finally, it's it's encouraging that the tech titans are moving in that direction, but they could have done this five years ago, seven years ago, quite easily, and probably saved many lives. Mm-hmm. So the first recommendation is shut off all those notifications. The second recommendation is ban your cell phone from your bedroom. And what I mean by that is not that you can't bring it into the bedroom ever, but when you go to sleep, that phone should not be sitting there by your bedside um, so that if you wake up in the middle of the night, you are not tempted to reach over, grab the phone, start checking your Facebook feed, and then lose yet another hour of sleep to your phone. Um, your, your Facebook feed will be just fine <laughs> after you get up in the morning and have a cup of coffee. Uh, you know what I found? Uh, I put the the phone in my room at one point. This was a few years ago. Put it, uh, not even, it was in the room, but it was plugged in on the other side of the room. And so I knew that that was where my alarm was as well. And so that made a world of difference that way. Is I knew the only time I needed to get up was when I heard my alarm go off. So that actually helped. Well, so that's true. And, and, and many people, when I offer that recommendation, say, oh, but my phone is my alarm clock. And I use it as my clock, and I need it by my bedside. And my answer to that is go out and spend $10 and buy an alarm (laughs) clock. It's not a big expense for a good night's sleep. Agreed. Peter Reiner is a professor of psychiatry at the University of British Columbia. Thank you so much for the time today, sir. Okay, Joe. We're going to continue this conversation in a second, but before we get to that, I just want to give you a a bit of a heads up on the breaking news coming out of City Hall. Uh, Just during that interview, Mayor Nahed Nenshi announcing City Manager Jeff Fielding is leaving his job April 1st. He's heading to the City of Toronto. We will have uh, our very own Aurelio Perry after 5 o'clock to talk more about this in depth and kind of he's going to try to get the feel around City Hall right now as uh, Jeff Fielding stepping down as City Manager. We'll continue the discussion about cell phone separation anxiety and more this is calgary today on 770 chqr did you know that the cost to end homelessness has been estimated at 3.8 billion dollars now the school of public policy here in calgary has re- uh, released a report saying that the integration of services to address homelessness could increase effectiveness while saving billions of dollars. One of the study's authors is Dr. Alina Turner, a fellow at the University of Calgary's School of Public Policy, and she joins us now. Dr. Turner, thanks so much for the time today. You bet. Dive into the numbers for us a little bit. How much would we be saving as a country or as a province, or what have you been able to dig deep on to to bring to the public's eye today? Well, I think the big message here is that we have significant investment in the social safety net that's primarily delivered by nonprofits and the public sector, so government services. And the good news is that we have some sense of some emerging numbers. So we know, for instance, that we have about $33.5 billion per year that's um, being spent on about 167,000 services across the country, which is 
good news because that means that there's a strong array and diversity of, of services. Now, the bad news is, is that we don't know exactly how all of these services work together to be able to even answer the question, you know, is there a way that we can do things better? Is there a way that we can reduce duplication and in- increase efficiency and also enhance efficacy or, or enhance impact and outcomes that, that we want to achieve? So I think there's there's kind of a good news, bad news to this report, one that, you know, we have some emerging information to dig deep into what integration might look like for um, the safety net. But on the other hand, there's still a lot more work to do and a lot more mining and transparency that's needed to fully understand where the savings might come from and or if we actually need more investment, in fact, because we might have some gaps that we're not fully aware of. Is this a weird spot to be in maybe for a lot of these organizations who are founded pre-internet? And I know that sounds kind of weird, but at the same time, we've become more of a global community now. And so it would almost make sense to be able to find those efficiencies, to be able to communicate and work together on a, a national or a provincial scale or whatever is needed. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a really good point. And, and one of the reasons that we even have um, some of the data to run these estimates is because of the internet. So, you know, if you tried to do this kind of analysis even 10 years ago, it it would be extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, because we have open data and open government, um, some of the portals from from different organizations that give us access to to this information are allowing us to ask these deeper questions. And then, of course, once once you kind of scratch beneath the surface, you realize, well, there there might be some major areas where um, where amalgamation might be needed, for instance, because some organizations might not survive long term um, without coming together to strengthen their their base and their resources together. In other cases, we might find that we're severely under um, funding a particular organization that has fantastic outcomes. And in that case, we should be looking at moving resources into an organization that's delivering excellent results. The problem is we don't have a global understanding of all of these factors right now. And so internet, and back to your point around technology, technology today gives us an opportunity to look at these issues in a much more nuanced way and to give us an opportunity to to move in this sector into the 21st century and, and, and beyond into that fourth industrial re- revolution that we're all uh, talking about. What's the next step after this report in your eyes? What or who needs to step in and say, okay, we need a, do we need a, a, a summit, I guess, of all the different organizations or does government need to get involved? What's sort of the, the best mm-hmm. case scenario maybe? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, everybody has their, their wish list. Um, but for me, the, the open data piece has been so instrumental to even ask these questions. So I think more of that from government um, is going to be really critical moving forward. And we have some amazing examples internationally of governments opening up their, their books, so to speak, on, on because they are the primary funder of um, the social safety net. So that's number one. Number two is the donors in, in our community, the philanthropic donors, getting um, a more savvy uh, type of a donor out there that is asking these questions as well. So and getting the funders together so that they're they're coming up with strategies at the community level, regardless of you know who's funding what. We have some common areas that that we all care about and kind of aligning 
right? So getting all everybody rowing in the same boat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be really, really important. And I think for sure that the government should be should be paying attention and, and understanding even within its, its own um, shop what the various departments are funding and kind of following you know, everybody's line of sight to get outcomes that are make sense for Albertans. Dr. Turner, I appreciate the uh, the insight into your report and all the best with uh, your future reporting as well. Thank you so much. Dr. Alina Turner is a fellow and author of that report from the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary. We will check in with the City of Calgary. Aurelio Perry will join us in just a couple of minutes to talk about the announcement out of City Hall today. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Big announcement out of City Hall today as manager Jeff Fielding says he will be gonzo as of April 1st. And before we get to Aurelio Perry, he uh, did me a little favor and he sent me a piece of audio from back in April. This is City Manager Jeff Fielding back in April. So about a year after or year before he plans to leave. Here's what he had to say to City Council. Are we just taking direction willy-nilly off the floor of Council on all of the things that we're talking about that come popping into your head? I, I got to tell you, I'm done with that, folks. I'm absolutely done with it. I've li- listened to, to our folks get castigated over the last several months for mistakes that they're, they've been committed, and I've men- made clear that we had made mistakes. There were things that we did wrong. But we've never been clear about who we were responding to, who was the leader of all of this process, and who was responsible at the end of the day that we were supposed to report to. So I'm putting my stake in the ground today. You're setting up a structure. Please stick with the structure. Our intrepid City Hall reporter Aurelio Perry joining us now on the program. Aurelio, thanks for the time today. Good afternoon, Joe. So you gave me that clip. And I'm curious, did that have anything to do with Jeff Fielding's announcement today or did he even allude to it? No, uh, I just enjoy uh, playing that clip every chance I get. <laughs> Fair enough. It's one of those things, though, that you could tell that there was a frustration in the room when it came to what council was doing versus what administration was trying to do. It's, uh, well, basically council uh, trying to make policy on the fly. This That clip dates back to when they were setting up uh, to decide what kind of question should have been on the Olympic plebiscite and also uh, on setting up the Olympic uh, committee that they were going to set up. And Fielding was saying, well, you're going to have a process here. Let that committee handle this instead of, you know, some of the talk was whether uh, school kids should be allowed to vote in the plebiscite or could they arrange to do something with uh, uh, school-aged kids voting in a plebiscite in schools. And finally he stood up because this was going on and on and, he had had enough uh, type of thing. You know, he was no shrinking violet to when it came to uh, issues on the floor of council, the office vacancy thing. He mm-hmm. stood up and said, I don't know what to do with this thing, uh, with the massive uh, shift in tax situation that's occurring here. But uh, he's leaving because of a family situation. Okay. Uh, he says he's been here. He's been here four years, but his family has stayed back in Ontario he uh, came to Calgary after being the city manager in Burlington. He had the same role in London, Ontario. He was also in senior management in Kitchener. 
I had previously been a planner with the city of Calgary back in the late 90s, I believe, and then left to go to Ontario and did some work there in those communities. His family stayed behind there, and he says due to a family circumstances, he needs to go back to his family in Ontario, and he's uh, managed to find himself a senior position with the city of uh, city of Toronto. Hmm. So what's been the reaction? I've seen a few uh, few tweets out there, but around City Hall, uh, much surprise around City Hall, and, and what's the reaction been? I think there's a bit of a surprise that uh, he's leaving. He had a contract that uh, was going until 2020, so he still had another year or so to go on his contract. Other uh, councillors are sad to see him go. But the fact that, you know, a lot is said about... Uh, the city not doing enough to uh, cut spending in that. Um, they take he, Jeff Fielding and others take great pains to say over the last few years, uh, there's been hundreds of millions of dollars in efficiencies found through, you know, zero budget reviews and other situations. So uh, many councillors are disappointed to see him go. And uh, he's here till April the 1st, and likely his replacement won't be hired by then. We'll be keeping tabs on that for sure. Aurelio, appreciate the time today. No problem. Thank you. One other question that I think is going to be uh, raised before too long is what is he getting for his departure pay? I'm sure that'll come out. A Q Canadian Taxpayers Federation news release in three, two, no, I'm kidding. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. She is a geomatics engineering student. She also stars for the University of Calgary Dinos uh, volleyball team. And she is now one of the top eight academic All-Canadians announced today. Kate Pexman joins us now on the program. Kate, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. When did you find out about this uh, nomination and this academic All-Canadian award? Um, I actually found out maybe a month and a half ago, two months ago, and I had to keep it a secret from almost everyone. <laughs> Is that a tough thing to do? Uh, yeah, I told my family and a few of my close friends, but I had to keep it a secret from the girls on the team, which was the hardest part. So. So obviously this is something that is, it's tough to do to be a student athlete, but to do it at a high level like you have, what's been the key to success for you to be able to excel in both the classroom and on the court? Um, I think just finding a balance. I mean, it, it took me a while and I definitely wasn't good at it at the beginning. It took me a couple of years to figure out like how much time in a day do you spend doing homework versus preparing for practice versus getting treatment done, doing assignments, talking with profs. There's all kinds of things that you have to balance in, in the day-to-day life. You talk a little bit about the, the geomatics engineering part. I mean, it's one thing to be, I, I'm not trying to say anything bad about some of those who are doing, you know, kines or, or accounting or something like that, but this is a pretty involved program. Like, this isn't something that's for the faint of heart. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely time-consuming and challenging every day, but um, I really, really love it, and I love my classes and what I'm learning about, so it makes it worth it. And obviously with the volleyball side of things, you've been doing that for a while too, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I've been playing competitive volleyball since I was 10, um, and I'm almost 22, so yeah, a while. <laughs> I mean, no kidding. And, and in terms of sort of future aspirations, what are you, what are you hoping to achieve? What are you hoping to, what, what's your big dream? Um, well, definitely our goal this year is to win a national championship. Um, we were close last year. We came fourth. 
Um, and it was the first time our team had gone to nationals in a long time. Um, so that was important for the university. And I have two more years left, um, one in my engineering program, and then I'll graduate um, in June. And then I'm hoping to start grad school at UFC. When I was reading through sort of your accomplishments, and the one thing that I, I it's, again, one thing to do the student side. It's another thing to do the uh, the volleyball side. But here you are volunteering. You're coaching community volleyball as well. How do you fit all that in? And beyond that, do you actually sleep at all? <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, I do. Um, there's, I mean, there's a time and place for everything. And you have to, like I said before, find a balance. Um, I do think that you will really enjoy it. It doesn't really feel like work. Like, I love volunteering and I love coaching and seeing um, kids get better at the sport that I love is, is super rewarding. So it doesn't feel like a, like a big task. Final question for you is, what does it mean to you to be handed this academic All-Canadian? I wasn't expecting it, to be honest. I mean, I, there's ton, so many great people, at, not only at UC, um, in our Dinos Athletics program, but all over the Can West. Um, tons of people excelling in their programs and excelling at their sports. Um, so I'm just, I'm super honored. And and I wouldn't have been here without my coaches and my teammates and the athletics department at the UFC, which is just amazing. It's a very cool recognition and one that you're going to be able to get uh, January 29th at Rideau Hall in Ottawa. Again, congratulations mm-hmm. on, on the win, Kate. And all the best in the upcoming season and, and in your future endeavors. Thank you so much. Kate Pexman, the academic All-Canadian from the University of Calgary. Again, not only is she a volleyball player, but she's also a geomatics engineering student in the Schulich School of Engineering at the University of Calgary. A very cool thing to see. They happen, they hand out every year, but nice to highlight some of the uh, the cool uh, awards and distinctions that our uh, people in our community are doing, especially the young people. Like she said, what is she, 22, and she's already into uh, doing some great things in our communities. So uh, congratulations again to Kate on that academic all-Canadian. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. When you do, don't forget to write the show and leave a comment. Until next time, my friends.